Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone and greetings in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And today we're going to jump back into God's Word in 2 Thessalonians. Yesterday we read chapters 1 and chapters 2. Yoni is with me again, and I praise God for him being here with me. He keeps me going. And because it is really, I've said it before, and I'll say it one more time, maybe the last time I say this, it's very difficult to teach walls. And having Yoni here, just I praise God for his life, his testimony, and his walk with the Lord. So we've read chapters 1 and 2. We stopped in verse 4, really verse 5, but I'm going to read verse 5 again. And we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 5, and just continue with what we were saying before. Paul says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Now again, where is he teaching from? Paul is trained in the Hebrew Scriptures. He is teaching, I believe, these principles from the book of Daniel, the book of Zechariah. He is going back into the Old Covenant, into the Hebrew Scriptures and other places, and he's teaching them biblical truths. And remember, he's coming against deception, that someone has said that the day of the Lord has come. Past tense has already taken place. His coming, his gathering the believers unto him at his coming, which is described as the day of the Lord. And he says, no, a great rebellion has to take place in the world. Mm. The man of lawlessness has to be revealed before his coming. He will declare himself God in the temple of God. And so these three things have to take place. They have to precede the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering unto him, which is described as the day of the Lord. He had already taught them these things. Now, why is he on this subject with them? They're new believers. They're under severe persecution. In fact, Paul has been driven out of the city because of the persecution. And they want to know, when is Jesus coming? When is he coming back? When is the day of the Lord? And so he taught them these things from the very beginning, and he wants to remind them of these things. Verse 6, And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. What restrains him is the power of God, the Spirit of God, that restrains the man of lawlessness. He will not be allowed to come onto the scene until God allows him to come onto the scene. You see, it is God that is going to send what is described as a deception Mm -hmm. upon the world. Now, the deception is not God lying to the world. It's God allowing deception to come to them, a deluding spirit that's going to come through this man of lawlessness. Like in verse 11, the deluding influence that they will believe what is false. Yes. Mm. And who is going to bring this deluding influence? The man of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. He's not a man of the law, the law of God. He's a man of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. Everything that represents God, what is good, he's going to be against it. And what is evil, he is going to describe as good. What is good is evil. What is evil is good. He's going to turn everything the wrong direction. 
And think about it, Yoni, what we're living in today. And Jesus says to his disciples, recognize the season in which we're living in. A believer should recognize the season. We are living in a time of great rebellion against God. What is evil is good, and what is good is evil. What represents God is evil in this world that we live in today. And so we're seeing these things develop right before our very eyes. Yeah, it's almost this idea of do what feels right to you, because that is right to you. That is right. What feels right to you is right. And to say otherwise is intolerance and bigotry. And evil. And evil. And why be a hater? And why would you be someone that is judgmental? It's actually a pantheistic worldview that comes into Mm -hmm. the Western society that all roads lead to God. All roads lead to God, therefore everything is relative. So how can you speak against this person? Mm, Because that's their truth. Their truth, Mm -hmm. their way, their path. Mm -hmm. It's a Hindu culture, a pantheistic culture with pantheistic ethics that has come into the world that has crept into the body of the Messiah. Mm especially through what we call the seeker-friendly church or the seeker-friendly movement that is happening in the Western society today. Now, I don't want to get into that, but that's how the rebellion of the world can influence the church as well. Hmm. And so there's deception that's going to come, but Paul has been teaching them against this idea that the day of the Lord has already come. He's reminding them these things have to take place. Verse 6, what restrains him? God restrains him. It is God that is in control. It is the power and the Spirit of God that is in control. And then God's going to allow this man to be revealed. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Well, it's kind of like what you just said. Yes. That these influences are already kind of creeping and growing. Yes. But think about it from original intent. This is first century A.D. Mm-hmm. Now, we're 21st century A.D. Yeah. So this, law, this mystery of lawlessness, Paul is saying to the believers at Thessalonica, it's already at work right now. Mm-hmm. Now, think, as, think with me as we're going towards the end, the end of the age, the end of time, how much greater that will come mm-hmm. as we get to the end of time. Mm. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, the dispensationalists, this is how you have systemi- systematic theology and you use a verse to proof text your systematic theology. This is what the dispensationalists have used this verse Mm. to say that this means that the church is going to be taken out and they separate his coming from the body of Christ being taken away. The Holy Spirit and the church is going to be gone from the world. That's reading into the text. So can we actually say that? Let's read verse 7 again. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. It is God through the power of his spirit, his authority that restrains, and then God is going to release this man of lawlessness, and God has his timing in which he will restrain him, and then he will be taken out of the way. This restraining power will be taken out of the way. Interesting. 
That's what we know for sure. It's not saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the earth, that the church is going to be taken away, uh, that there will not be any believers on the earth. That is reading into the text from a dispensationalist mindset. Something it just doesn't say. You have to make yeah. assumption based upon assumption based mm. upon assumption. Which it feels, I guess, feels very strange in a passage that has been almost, you know, it's just, he's just talking plainly. So it seems very strange that you would need to come to that. Why would he not just say the church? Why would he not just say the restraining influence is the church or is the dispensation or is the... Right, yes. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, dispensationalism is not taught anywhere within the Bible. Mm -hmm. For example, we've always come to God by his grace through faith. Mm -hmm. The law was given to the people of faith. It didn't make them the people of faith. They didn't bring them into a right relationship with God, the law... They were already the people of God in a covenant relationship with God based upon the grace of God through faith. We've always come to God through grace through faith. And that's the whole argument of Hebrews, right? It's the, and probably all yes, through Scripture. Yeah. All through Scripture, yes. <laughs> yeah. But dispensationalism is saying God works differently at different times within time periods. Mm. And then they start creating all these different time periods. And one of the dispensations that they created was... Now we have the dispensation with their churches taken out, mm. and now we have a dispensation of only Israel mm. and what God is doing through the nation of Israel. Mm. So, and again, to come to that conclusion from this would be to put words on the page that aren't there. Yes, and they do it in many places. Mm. Say in Revelation chapter 4, after these things, then after that point, they start talking about the judgments of God. Now, in chapters 2 and 3, it's talking about the seven churches of Asia Minor. So after that, they say that this proves that this comes, all the judgments of God, after the church. Mm. So they use little places like that based upon assumptions to create theology that the text never even deals with. So when you look at the plain teaching of Scripture... The day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gathering up to him will take place after these things take place. And God is restraining and keeping the man of lawlessness away from being revealed, and God will allow him to come on to the scene. Let's read verse 7 again. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains... It's God who restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And who is he who is taken out of the way? I believe it is the spirit and the power of God, the restraining power of God is going to be removed and allow the man of lawlessness to be revealed. That does not mean that he's taken up into heaven and the church is gone. It means the restraining power of God's Spirit on this earth is going to be removed so that the man of lawlessness can be revealed. However, the good news is verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. It is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that brings an end to all these worldly kingdoms and the man of lawlessness and all the persecution, all the trials, all the tribulations. Our salvation is at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. 
It does not come through us subduing the world, through us taking dominion over the world, through kingdom now theology that we have seen from the 5th century A.D. all the way to the present day. It is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that is our salvation, that brings an end and brings destruction and brings judgment upon the world. Our salvation is in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, it, and this is, and to add to that too, this verse is almost the, the nail in the coffin that kind of solidifies that everything is all happening at once. It's all happening together. Because we start in verse 1, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. Verse 2 indicates that this is both the day of the Lord. And then 3, 4, 5 indicate, hey, these things have to happen first. And then at the very end, it, it says right here that in verse 8 that the evil one will be destroyed at his coming. Yes. And that's taught in Daniel. That's taught in Zechariah. It's taught in Isaiah. It's, it's about his coming that brings ultimate salvation to us as believers and ultimate destruction upon the wicked on this earth. Mm-hmm. And so here that brings in the kingdom of God on this earth. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is now in our hearts. It's a physical kingdom because it saturates the whole world. But it's a kingdom of God that is coming as well. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom is coming not through a denomination, not through a church structure. It is coming at his appearance. Mm-hmm. And the things are going to be put into right place in his coming and our salvation is in Him. And this is taught in this passage, and it is taught throughout the Word of God. It is so simple and so clear. Church, put your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our salvation, and our salvation is coming. This world is not going to get better. We are not going to take over the world. In fact, things are going to get worse. A great rebellion is coming. A man of lawlessness is going to be revealed that the world is going to look to, and he's going to declare himself God within the temple. And I believe, if you look at the rest of Scripture, that a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah will be heavily persecuted like the world has never seen before. Mm -hmm. A great tribulation is coming upon this world that has never been experienced before like what we're going to see. But our salvation is in His coming. That's Revelation chapter 19. To bring in His kingdom, His authority, and this kingdom will never ever be destroyed. Now let's look at verse 9. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. Satan is the accuser. With all power and signs and false wonders... There is demonic power, but it's deceptive power. And this false one, this false Messiah, this man of lawlessness will come in power, but it will be demonic activity. And there will be power, there will be signs, and there will be false wonders. And and this one will deceive many. As you look at Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is very clear about this. Verse 10, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They rejected the gospel, and they were deceived by demonic power, and they are embracing demonic activity, and they are putting their faith in this man of lawlessness. Their outcome will be destruction and the judgment of God. 
Verse 11, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Now, what is this deluding influence? I believe it's God allowing the man of lawlessness to be revealed, that restraining power to be taken away. He comes on the scene. He will have signs and wonders and false, uh, false wonders and signs, and he will have power. And through allowing this, people are going to gravitate and move towards this man of lawlessness. So this is what I believe contextually is the deluding influence, God allowing this man to be revealed. And through his signs and wonders, he's going to deceive the world. Yeah, and I think, too, reading through that you get this kind of initial um, almost hesitation to think, well, God, why would you let people be deluded? But it almost kind of brings me back to kind of the, the argument in Romans, too, where all men have no excuse. We have seen God. And, and, in, and maybe in our own measure, we have seen the things of God, yet we turn away. And there comes a point where God says, okay, fine, go. Yes, and, and when you look at that Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, I'm glad you brought that up. It is not God speaking lies to them. This is extremely important in causing the world to rebel against him. God has revealed himself to the whole world through the creation that no man stands with an excuse before God. Mm -hmm. But God releasing them to their own pleasures, mm -hmm. to their own degrading passions, mm -hmm. that's going to lead to idolatry. It's going to lead to even homosexuality being accepted as normal within society, mm -hmm. leading to the whole breakdown of the family and society and culture. So th they know that this is wrong. But not only do they practice these things, but they give hearty approval to those that are doing these things as well. So a whole collapse of society is taking place within the human race from the very beginning, Paul is writing, from the very beginning, from generation to generation, walking away from God, and this deluding influence comes upon the whole world. But it's not God deluding them in the sense of causing them to walk away from him, but it's God releasing them to their own pleasures. Now look at the next verse because this is what he's going to say to them. In order, verse 12, in order that they all may be judged who do not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. The deluding influence is their own pleasure. They took pleasure in the things that didn't represent God but the things that represented evil. They didn't believe the truth, they walked away from God. And instead of following the things of God, the eternal things of God, they took pleasure in the temporal things of man, and it was in their own wickedness that they were following. This is an exact description of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. God never brings about blindness in the sense of bringing falsehood throughout the scriptures but he brings about blindness by bringing the truth to people. Hmm. How was Israel, how was Judah blinded? By the prophets speaking the truth. Hmm. And hardening their hearts. Harden their hearts through truth. Hmm. How was Pharaoh, how was his heart hardened? Through truth. Hmm. Moses never spoke lies to Moses, I mean to Pharaoh. 
He mm. always spoke truth, and by speaking the truth of letting the people of God go, he brought plagues upon the nation of Egypt to confirm what he was saying was truth, and he was hardening Pharaoh's heart through truth. Mm. How was Israel blinded? It's a temporary blindness, a temporary hardness. But how were they blinded? Through truth, by their own Messiah coming in their midst and bringing the truth of who God was and the salvation of God. They were not blinded through deception. They were blinded by truth. This wow. deluding influence that is coming, that God is going to allow to come, is because they have pleasure in wickedness. And God's going to allow the man of lawlessness to be revealed mm. as he takes away that restraining power, the power of God's Spirit that is restraining this man of lawlessness from this world to come on the scene. This deluding influence is going to come because they took pleasure in wickedness. Mm. But the truth is always Interesting. there. So, so almost the, the taking pleasure in wickedness will increase their own attraction to wickedness. Yes, because he's the man of lawlessness. Mm. And their love is going to grow cold. Mm. There is a rebellion that is taking place, a rebellion, an apostasy against God and the things of God. So those that love truth, like those in Thessalonica, are going to be persecuted mm. as the man of lawlessness is revealed. The same thing that they're going through is what's going to happen to believers at the end. Fascinating. Mm. Now let's finish this chapter. Verses 13 through 17. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Paul is saying, but we give thanks to God for you in Thessalonica. God has chosen you from the very beginning for salvation through sanctification, being set apart for the purposes of God by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Mm -hmm. So salvation was the plan of God from the very beginning. They were chosen by God. They are the chosen ones of God. The truth came to them by God's grace, and they received it by faith, and they have been chosen by God for salvation that was established from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Before God even created this world, God knew that this world would rebel against him, and he already had a plan of salvation. He had already chosen us. The Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth. What do we understand by that? God's plan of redemption had already been established from the foundations of the earth. These believers in Thessalonica were chosen from the foundations of the earth for God's salvation. It was from the beginning through sanctification. Now, sanctification is being set apart for the purposes of God. And as we look scripturally, as we go to different places, we'll see that sanctification is instant and it is progressive. We are a new creation in Christ, in the Messiah, and also we are babes that have to grow and mature in the things of God. That's what we're going to really study in 1 Corinthians, which will be the next letter that we study that unfolds chronologically in the New Covenant. Here, we have been saved from the beginning, and this is through sanctification 
by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit and faith, the Spirit mm-hmm. of God and faith working together, and the Spirit of God and our faith are based in the truth of God's Word. That's so cool because it's this twofold thing of God's action and our action. Always. You cannot even have a covenant relationship with God if there are not two parties coming into agreement. God is the one that sets the terms. God is the one that brought salvation. It's by the grace of God that we are saved. It is the Spirit of God that works within our hearts and that we, by faith, receive the gospel, receive the truth. And by faith that is based in the truth, we are set free and we are set apart for the purposes of God. Mm -hmm. And this is done instantly and this is progressive as well, as we'll see in other books of the Bible. Now let's close out this chapter. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Stand firm. Those in Thessalonica, those believers, stand firm today, believers. This is an action that you have to take place. Now, they're going through persecution. We may not be going through persecution. But believe me, if we understand Scripture correctly, persecution is coming. Stand firm and hold to the traditions. Traditions is not a bad word if the tradition is based upon the Word of God. Now, we have so many traditions today that's based upon another tradition and another tradition, and it goes on and on, but it's not based upon the Word of God. Mm -hmm. If you go in rabbinical Judaism, everything is based upon the traditions of men. I mean, why are they putting a kippah on their head? Why are they rocking when they pray? Why do some people wear all black? Why do women do this and men do that? It's all based upon an oral law, which are the traditions of the elders, that's not based upon the Word of God. Mm-hmm. When you come into Christianity, whatever denomination, whatever group that you are in, you will have some traditions. You've got to look at those traditions, whatever it is, and say or, or think to yourself, is this based upon the Word of God? For example, when our pastor says, lift up your hands to the Lord in worship. Now we do that, but is that based upon God's Word? Mm-hmm. I would say yes. Go back into the Word of God and look how David says, I will lift up my hands in thy name. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. As they lifted up their hands and praised God and shouted, Amen, Amen, to the Word of God that was being preached. So that is a tradition that is based upon the Word of God. However, you have to examine every tradition. Does, is this based upon God's Word? Does this come from the Word of God? And sometimes you will find there are traditions that we have, teachings that we have, systematic theology that we have that's not based upon the Word of God. Mm. Paul is not saying just to believe traditions, but stand firm to these traditions which you were taught. Where is Paul teaching? Where is Silas teaching? Where is Timothy teaching? They are teaching from the Word of God, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Mm. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Everything that we have today is because of the grace of God. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. 
We are to be about the work of God, proclaiming the word of God, and we need to comfort and strengthen your hearts, Paul is saying, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and the word of God which is coming to you. And so be involved in the work of God. It's not time to quit or to stop working or things of that nature that we're going to see in the next chapter, but to comfort and strengthen your hearts is the purpose of Paul and Silas and Timothy in every good work and word is for them to keep on pressing on to what God is wanting to accomplish within their hearts. Mm. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this time together in your word. Use this word for your glory and to propel us to do greater things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.